Speak Sport, the podcast for women fluent in sport. It's going to be such a great time on She Speaks Sport today because I'm joined by phenomenal, phenomenal woman and also coach Liz Mills. And before I welcome her onto the show today, I also want to tell you as a listener, because you might not know, or maybe you do know, but you need to be reminded that Liz has been the first woman head coach to do what? To coach in the Basketball Africa League, to also lead a men's national team at the FIBA Continental Championship, and also to lead a men's club team in Morocco and in the Arab world which is amazing. Liz, so good to have you here today. It's amazing. I just think that you are incredible. You are inspiring, not only women, but also young girls and um, just living out your passion, just doing what you do every day. And before we get into that, so good to have you and welcome to the show. Lauren, thank you so much for having me on the show today. It's an absolute honor and privilege to be able to speak to you because you are just as inspiring. So thanks for having me on the show. Mm, thank you. It's it's incredible. I just think, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about networking and woman networking and just connecting as well later on on the show. But I think that that the power of just connecting together like this is is inspiring and just coming together and saying, wow, you know, to be in the space together is just such a joy and a privilege. And you've become, I mean, you've broken barriers and created history by becoming the first female head coach in the Basketball Africa League. And this was to lead a men's team. And a men's club is not only just in Africa, but also in the Arab world. And firstly, I want to know from you, I mean, it's incredible. I love it. I love seeing the pictures of you on the sidelines. I love seeing you getting excited and and really being the head coach of a men's team because we can kind of get used to seeing women kind of being with women's teams, which it doesn't happen at that much. We must also say that, but being in this world what was the journey like for you personally to become the first female head coach in the BAL? I mean, I'm sure that that must have been quite a journey. Was it a something that you thought of being, something that was a goal for you? Or was it something that was quite surprising that ended up happening? Well, basketball wasn't my first love, actually. So the fact that I'm here now would have surprised my younger self because uh, my first love was actually netball. Um, my twin sister and I, growing up in Sydney, Australia, like most young girls, uh, started playing netball. And it was only when we started watching the Women's National Basketball League at the age of 10 here in Australia that we started to really get into basketball. And what was even more crucial is not only seeing, you know, successful female athletes, it was seeing the female head coaches who mm. were strong, intelligent and successful. And this really speaks to the value of having visible female role models. So my journey started from there, basically. We we started playing basketball at 15 and started coaching at 16 mm. because we were really inspired by those female head coaches. We were like, well, if they can do it, why can't we do it? Mm. And so I was very strategic um, in terms of how I wanted to coach. I studied sports science and sports management at U university. Then I did my master's in coaching as well. 
um, as well as other basketball related um, diplomas. And so from there, I gained experience coaching junior boys and girls teams in Sydney, Australia, as well as one or two senior women's teams. And then in 2008, after our undergraduate degrees, uh, my sister and I traveled to Africa for the first time as part mm -hmm. of like an around the world trip. We landed in Zambia and fell in love with the place. And mm -hmm. then we kept coming back. And in 2011, I watch the men's super league uh, which is their national league in zambia their pre-season tournament and i thought to myself why can't i coach men yeah because the question had never come up and you know and i'm sure you hear this a lot by from female coaches we're sort of ingrained from an early uh, indoctrinated actually from an early age to be like i can coach children and i can coach women and mm. those are my options and so i was like hold up I'm Australian. We have a great basketball reputation. I should, I can come in here and I can coach. And unfortunately, the women's program wasn't that strong. So I really felt like the only way to develop was to work with the men's team. And, you know, since 2011, I've been really lucky. I actually wouldn't say lucky. I was fortunate and I created my own opportunities mm. to coach men's club teams and national teams in Zambia, Rwanda, Cameroon, Kenya, Morocco, and Cote d'Ivoire, as well as wow. guest coach in a number of different African teams. And so um, I, and it, like you said, it was, it wasn't by luck that I ended up in the BAL. I was very mm. strategic. Um, I wanted to be the first woman to coach at Afro basket with the Kenyan men's national team. And then with the launch of the BAL in 2021, I knew I was probably going to be the first woman to coach in the BAL as well. Um, so that was another goal of mine. And uh, I kind of chase first just because um, it's, it, I'm a very goal-driven person. Yeah. But I think I've been able to shine a spotlight on women in sport. And I think when you're continuing to break glass ceilings, that's, the, that's one of the best ways to, you know, shock people and get people to think, well, if she's the first in 2021 or 2022, mm. what are we really doing to create equality in our sport? Mm. That's a powerful, powerful point because we're talking about a year or two ago. We're not talking about 10 years earlier. We're talking about now, recently, and it's a very important point, then, you know, what are we saying? What are we doing? And uh, I love I love that word that you use that phrase as well as chasing first, because I know that I'm like that as well. <laughs> totally can relate to you on that. And it's also because it sets a standard and it also is a representation. And, and you know, especially for young girls as well, we always think of, of them and other and women, all, older girls, as we always say, to be able to see women doing certain things is that reassurance and that confidence of going, I can do it as well, or I can do what's in my heart to do the dreams and goals I set for myself. And it's powerful. And I was thinking, you know, when I was looking at you being involved in Africa as someone who's grown up on the continent, traveled quite a bit in the continent and, and, and I love Africa and I love people of Africa, but culturally, we also cannot ignore or separate the cultural norms that we have in Africa when it comes to women. And especially, you know, in the Arab world as well, myself having a number of Arab colleagues and especially in female Arab colleagues and the things that they say and they talk about is sometimes quite like, wow, okay, is that how it really works and how it happens? How did, you know, what did you really discover about these norms when 
people came across you as this head coach working in the Arab world, working in Africa as well. I'm kind of wondering as well how the team responded to that, how how the guys responded to that. I mean, this is quite a big question probably, but (laughs) it's probably a huge question. It's probably we can do the whole interview just with this. How was that? Tell us a bit about that. Well, I was also like you. I was very aware coming to, you know, different African countries that, you know, predominantly because of religion and culture, there might be some resistance. Mm. But I can tell you that I have been welcomed with open arms by the players first and foremost, Mm. and also generally by our fans across the continent. Um, it's I've been really pleasantly surprised um, by the warmth and friendliness that everybody has always shown me, regardless of if I've been the South, East, Central, West or the North. Um, I think players specifically, yes, they're nervous because I'm a new coach and whether I was male or female, they're going to be nervous to perform in front of a new coach and they want to impress them. And then obviously none of them have ever had female coaches before I rocked up. And to be honest, after the first five minutes of practice, when they're like, oh, there's nothing different. She's still going (laughs) to yell at us. She's still going to make us do these drills. She's still going to push us to the limit. So when, once they figure all that out, they're like, oh, she's just a coach. Um, And so then the gender is really taken out of it. And it's more, I would actually say, I really um, find challenging working with the older generation of Africans um, who I generally, actually, I always have to work with older men um, who are pretty set in their ways. Obviously, they're pretty open-minded if they're hiring me, Um, but it it might be the opposition, it might be um, the federation president, it might be, you know, uh, old ex-member players or members of the club who question why they're bringing in a female and when I was younger obviously age was an issue as well Um, so I'm not naive about you know the fact that because I am white that has made my path easier but I am hoping that because they see me as a woman they're going to turn around and give young African women the same opportunity and I have seen this in you know Gabon has a great female head coach called Ruth Glenn who is an assistant coach for a men's club team and she's a young lady who's pioneering there Mm. Um, and I can give you countless other examples so I think um, I might have opened the door but I still think it needs to be cracked open by an African woman, be that in the north, south, east, west, who will also be a pioneer for, for Africans to look up to as well. Mm. Sure. That's, you know, it's, I just want to say thank you to Africa for welcoming Liz because you oh. know what? I, I love it because I have a, a similar I was thinking a similar thing when you were talking. I went to do some work in in Ghana a couple of years ago, and uh, the it was you know a lot of training and it was very different. It was theological training, etc. And I remember being there with my husband and with being part of a team, and uh, everybody and especially the men kept asking, "When am I going to speak? When is Lauren going to speak to us? When is she going to teach us? When?" And there was this this real earnest, sincere desire. To And there was no issues of me standing up in front of them. And I had to learn that confidence to stand up in front of men and to teach them. 
uh, because it was something that I wasn't comfortable with 10 years ago, but they kept asking, when are you going to teach us? They had no issue, but because of where I was coming from, you know, and the Mm -hmm. things that I had heard, I was kind of stepping back and going like, I can't step into that. I I don't know if I should be teaching me. You can give me the 500 women that are sitting in the next room and I'll (laughs) definitely help them and I'll be teaching and training them. Mm -hmm. But these guys were like, when are you going to be teaching us? Because we need to learn from you and from what you have to share with us. And just that warmth and that openness. And it was kind of like that acceptance. Uh, We don't even realize it's, it it made a huge impact on me. I 100% agree. Oh, like I was 24 when I first started coaching in Zambia. And I think as women, we've created a narrative in our own heads about it. But I always say that I would never have been able to do what I have done anywhere else in the world. I would never have been given any of these Mm. opportunities anywhere else in the world. So I basically... Um, oh, the last 12 years of my career to Africa and mm. let, just like that experience you shared, I think as women, we sometimes hold ourselves back when really we can be environments where regardless of gender, people want to hear us and, you know, work yeah. with us and we've got to stop holding ourselves back. Mm. Oh, Liz, I love that you're saying that as well. It's exactly so true because sometimes in life you don't, I didn't hear anybody reject me or any men reject me for teaching or wanting to stand up there and being the leader. But like you said, we have this narrative in our mind of that they're not going to accept me, you know, that they're not going to just accept me, but, but it was coming from within myself, holding myself back. And I, I love, I love this. This is an important, this is an important message that we are sharing here as well. And but I know as well that you've also heard some really crazy things, some I'm sure comments and some sexist remarks about leaving your boots at home, Liz, leaving those <laughs> boots at home. Now, let me tell you, please don't leave them at home because they're super cool. But uh, you know, how did you navigate this? Of course, this is gonna happen. I mean, it happens across race, across you know, gender, it's it happens across different ethnic groups. It's just the reality that we deal with. But of course you've you've had to navigate this yourself. And maybe this is a little bit of a tool or a little bit of a hope that you can give us. How did you navigate through hearing these sexist comments, not letting it get to you, or just, you know, not even sexist comments, but it's actually personal, personal things mm-hmm. that are said against yourself. How did you know? Nav- and how do you continue to navigate again, oh, you know, with that? Well, it's been a learning journey, that's for sure, because, you know, 10 years ago, I would have got all fired up. And, you know, been very upset about it. I might not have shown it at the time, but behind closed doors, I might have uh, been used a few choice words. Let's just say I have a very good vocabulary. Um, But as I got older, I figured, you know, there are different ways to approach these kind of situations. And it's often not fire with fire. It's um, being acting with humility and leading by example. Um, you know, sometimes people are just ignorant because they've never seen it before. And me marching up and down the sidelines changes mindsets. Um, me staying um, polite and um, showing humility towards someone who is being aggressive and not meeting them with the same kind of poor attitude is also a great way to change people's mindsets because you take the time to sit there and talk to them and educate them. Yeah. Not in a patronizing way, but being like, well, why do you think that? 
and engaging them in a discussion, not an argument, but a discussion and talking about how it makes me feel when they say things to, to, to me like that. Because, you know, how many people are just keyboard trolls without ever yeah. actually understanding the human side of it? Um, and obviously, you know, um, I still hear it every now and then, but sometimes I just choose to ignore it and other times I will address it or even challenge it. And I think that's the best way to handle it. Obviously, if it gets extreme, you know, that's when you you take a different action and, you know, maybe authorities come in, but um, other times lead by example, show humility and look to educate whoever you're engaging with. Mm. Coach, this is life lessons that you're teaching us here today, not only just about sport, but in general. And uh, along with the underlying tag that I want to say is don't be a keyboard troll, you know, in <laughs> any area. Okay. Don't be a keyboard troll. I remember having this conversation with cricket player Tasman Brits a few weeks ago, and she was saying she gets such horrible things said to her that sometimes when she's playing, she just wants to take her shirt off and have an undershirt on that has like writing on it and be like to the, uh -huh. to the mechanic that said such, I now scored 50. <laughs> You know, oh, it's I would just... love to do the same thing. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to get a lot of fines for this. I was like, we can do a backup, buddy. It's cool. But, you know, it's just, you know, don't be a keyboard troll. We're going to take a really, really quick break, a very short one, but don't go anywhere because Liz is still with me after this. You know what? We are having such a great time on the show today. I almost don't want us to go anywhere. I'm hoping that we don't have to go soon because Liz is with me. And of course, she is the first in many, many, many ways. And you know that because you've been with us from the beginning. Now, Liz, I also wanted to really ask you, you know, there was so many things I actually wanted to chat with you about. But one of the things is how you were talking about being the first and then also you know, the role that African women have to play. And we want to see African women, we want to see black women rise up. We want to see them in those head coach situations, in those environments. How are we going to get equal opportunities and more opportunities for women, specifically women as coaches? We know that now Anna, and I always say Anna Montana, because it reminds me of Hannah Montana, but Anna Montana, she's become now the first female head coach of a men's club in Spain, which is really phenomenal. I love that, you know, Europe's getting on board. What do we need to do to get more female head coaches? Is it about the federation? Is it, is it just more? Is it a conversation? How and what? How do we go about this? Well, what's great is our international governing body, FIBA, has mandated the women in basketball strategic priority to all federations around the world. So this means in for strategic reasons, over the next four years, federations are mandated to improve women participation in all aspects of basketball. Mm. So which means that federations can no longer tick boxes. They actually need to be showing that they are developing, you know, grassroots programs that encourage and engage girls and young women to participate in basketball, be that as athletes, coaches, officials, referees, and on the administration side as well. What's really crucial also, though, is that the women that are currently already in these systems are promoted and being made to be as visible as possible. Because you and I both know, and we've already stated, we need to see it to believe it. 
And so it's about those young girls seeing women already within these programs being successful in their own right. And then it's about developing pathways for these women to continue on their journey. It's not enough just to enter basketball. How do we keep them in basketball? And that's by providing actual job opportunities and encouraging them to continue to maintain their coaching degrees or playing career, whatever it may be, and keeping them within our ecosystem. So once you retire from playing, you could be an administrator, you could be a referee, whatever it is, we want to keep them within our ecosystem. And obviously, we want to see women at the top, like Anna is in Spain right now. She's worked over the last 20 years coaching to be in that position. So we need to also encourage these young girls to continue to not only, you know, coach at you know, the junior level, but also provide pathways for them to coach at the senior level, especially on the women's side where we need more female coaches to be role models for these girls coming through the system, but also on the men's side and especially coaching boys at a junior age because once we introduce female coaches to boys at a young age, they're not going to get into their 20s and 30s and think it's strange that they're coached by a woman. It will be the norm. It's about changing that narrative early on for these young athletes. And also it's about developing, especially in Africa, basketballs or sports in schools. We don't see enough Mm. um, school participation. And I think um, even an understanding of health and the benefits of sport is something that's seriously underdeveloped across the continent. And I think education in this field is going to be really crucial over the next five to 10 years. Mm. Sure, that's important. I was thinking of mental health as well. You know, whenever you talk about when, because I studied psychology and was a therapist for a number of years. And one of the things that we were taught was that if someone is dealing with depression or anxiety, the best way to help you get over that is actually to participate in sport. Sport is, is like everything, you know, mm-hmm. even if it's not a, even if it's not a, 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 a full on team sport, which can be very helpful, uh, you know, if, even if it's an individual sport or it's maybe just going to the gym, sport is so key beneficial to almost every part of, of life, to your mental health, to your emotional health. And there's so much that we can learn. And I think it's so important. And earlier on as well, we were talking about the importance of networking for women in sports. And uh, I must say, I love everything that you've been saying. And I've been thinking as well for quite some time, because it's a conversation I heard a lot of networking that we do here in South Africa among women in sport journalism, which is a very, very key little niche area but it's an area where women really are wanting to get more and more involved I get young girls saying to me they want to be involved in sport they want to be they study journalism they need to do internship and they want to do sport journalism but they particularly want to be involved in men's sport they don't want to be necessarily involved in women's sport where do they go what do they do how do they get that internships where do they turn to and actually I just really don't know because I've been trying to do the research myself. Where do young interns that want to get involved in American football or men's basketball, where do they go, young women? And I think that we need to create spaces for them to be as well because women want to be more involved in sport journalism or commentating. We haven't had that. And in many sports, we still don't have female commentators that are speaking on the radio or commentating on the television. 
And uh, so there's this huge, huge area when we talk about sport and, and more women that want to come through and that need to. And the importance of networking for women in sport. You and your twin sister started a beautiful initiative and tell us why networking in the industry for women, of course, this is different and it's got to do with coaching, but tell us a bit about the initiative that you and her started, why this is so vital for women in sport. We need that support. We need to feel that we have someone else to speak to about sport and have that passion. Lauren, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think one of the big reasons why my sister Vic and I started the Global Women in Basketball Coaching Network was because too often we as women in sport feel like we're isolated or we're operating in silos. Mm. So we founded this global network with the mission to connect female coaches from around the world on a platform where they can engage, empower and elevate each other to success. And that is what networking is all about, um, having a group of people to be able to lean on, to uh, advise, get advice from, and to also encourage. And I think too often in our industry, be that, you know, journalism, um, you know, coaching, athletics, whatever it may be, we, we don't connect as women enough. And being able to, to speak to women who are in the same kind of environments, who are operating in the same kind of environments as we are, is absolutely crucial. And we're really proud of our network and it's, it's global. We've got coaches at all different levels, be that beginner and elite, all um, on, on our Facebook page and really doing a great job to uplift and learn from each other. And it's been a very rewarding experience. Hmm. So if anybody's listening and they want to connect or they want to join, are they able to do that? Most definitely. So uh, to say it again, it, the name of our network is the Global Women in Basketball Coaching Network. It's open to all female coaches all around the world, regardless of your experience. And all you have to do is jump on Facebook and type that in and send us a request. And no doubt we will grant it. Hmm. Liz, it's been such a blessing to me today, really from my heart to be with you, to be connecting with you. And I certainly, as I said to you quite earlier on today, would love to see you in action coaching, you know, actually in the physical. But I want to say thank you so much for being with me today, for sharing your journey, for sharing your story and your passion. Thank you for everything that you are giving to us as women who are watching and also those who are coaching, those who are leading. Thank you for leading by example. And it's been such a privilege to be with you today. Thanks, Lauren. Enjoyed myself immensely. Thank you. You've been listening to the She Speaks Sport podcast. Find us on your favorite podcast app like Apple, Google, CastBox, and Spotify. Subscribe and like to stay updated on all new episodes. Thanks for listening.